We are going to be in Luke again, surprise, surprise, probably for the next two years in Luke, uh, going through uh, today, chapter 2, verses 8 through 21, to be exact. And what we're talking about today, angels are coming down to share some really good news about uh, who has just been born in, uh, in their region. So I'm going to start with reading that, but before I do, I'd like to, to open us in prayer. Father, we thank you for this amazing day. Lord, every day from you is a gift. Every day you have made. And Lord, we will rejoice and be glad in this day. Father, to be in, in this place, knowing that your presence is here and being surrounded by our brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord. Father, we pray for this message that you would use your Holy Spirit to speak through me, that this message would move and change the people that are here this morning. And Father, um, we love you. We want our hearts to be centered on you this morning, our minds to be focused on you as we dig through your word here and learn about you more through this passage. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So the shepherds and the angels. So we are at the point in the story where Jesus has been born. That's exciting, right? Y'all sound so excited. Yes, thank you very much. By the way, this is interactive. You guys can throw back some amen, some hallelujahs, some yes, preach it. Um, I learned at a conference once that when you when you feel like the preacher needs to like wrap it up, and I think this was at like a conference where, you know, there there are certain churches where they'll just preach one, two, three hours. Like it's no big deal for that to happen. You guys are lucky. I'm trying to like keep this down to about 45 minutes. Um, but, you know, I learned one thing you can say back to the preacher is bring it home. It's like... Pretty much means wrap it up, like <laughs> bring it home. Um, I don't want to hear that until like, <laughs> right? I don't want to hear that till like 11:15 or so. Okay, y'all set your watches. We're gonna be in this a while. No heckling. That's right. Bring it home. <clears throat> so here we are. We're gonna be in verse eight, and it says, "And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night." And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And in verse 21, And at the end of eight days, when, it, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Amen? Amen. So here we are. We are 
at some really good news that the angels have just shared with these shepherds. And this is another example of how God was using ordinary people for extraordinary things. We're talking about shepherds here. These guys did not have the highest reputation in society. Okay, Angels didn't come and speak to the CEOs, the like most well-liked. These were shepherds. Shepherds were considered kind of the lowest of the low, if you will. Um, not a very sought-after job. And so I was looking through and wondering, like, how can we equate this to today? What are some jobs? What are some positions that are not very sought after? So I went to Forbes, went to their magazine, and they published a list of the worst jobs in 2014. And that was determined by a company they work with called CareerCast. And these, um, these two doctoral students from the University of Wisconsin, they've headed up this study since 1995, and they've been putting this list together on what the worst jobs in America were. And I said, okay, what are the, some of the conditions that, name, that, that cause these jobs to be some of the worst jobs, right? So they take into account a bunch of different factors, everything from uh, emotional factors to degrees of competitiveness, the amount of public contact, physical demands, um, toxic fumes, noise, all of those things, even growth in the field that they're in. Um, they look at stress factors. They look at all sorts of things to help come up with their list. And so here are the top ten. I wish I had like that Dave Letterman. <laughs> uh, so the top ten, here they are. Uh, and in this order, number ten, corrections officer. Uh, firefighter, which I was a little surprised of, but because of all the stress and putting yourself in harm's way, firefighter's on the list. Garbage collector. <laughs> flight attendant you got to deal with some hostile people being a flight attendant. That is some rough stuff. Uh, number six, head cook. I think you've seen the stress on a cook's face if you've ever been in, a, in the middle of a kitchen. Anybody who's watching those Gordon Ramsay shows knows what I'm talking about. Uh, number five, TV radio broadcaster, which let me just say, that's what I went to school for, and that's why I got out of the business. So I uh, went directly... <laughs> Went directly into PR and got out of the TV radio broadcaster stuff. Um, number four, taxi driver. Number three, enlisted military service person. Number two, newspaper reporter. Again, more of that TV, radio, newsprint. Those guys uh, not really well liked. The number one job on this list will surprise you. Any guesses? Pastor. <laughs> you got to... That would be sad. Teacher, this is going to really surprise you guys. Lumberjack. Lumberjack is the number one worst job in America. Lumberjacks work outside in bitter cold and blazing heat, running heavy, dangerous machinery. They deal with massive trees and logs that can slip and cause injury. And according to OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, logging is the most dangerous job in America. For all that lumberjacks uh, do, they earn a median salary of just $24,000 a year. And they face dismal job growth projection. Nobody wants to be a lumberjack. Any aspiring lumberjacks in the room? Right. Not anymore. <laughs> Amen. And unlimited pancakes for breakfast, Gene says. Think about this. It sounds a lot like shepherds, guys. 
harsh conditions like sleeping outside to watch your flock. Why are they watching their flock by night? So things don't eat them. So there you are out in the field watching your flock by night, fending off your sheep or your whatever you're watching and shepherding from animals that want to eat your animals. So kind of dangerous, right? I mean, you might be considered one of the flock if you, if you looked a certain way, if the shadows were just right. Low pay, you know, these guys weren't driving Porsches home after a long day at work. Low popularity, low popularity, physically demanding, all of that to take care of some sheep that will end up shorn, served for dinner, or sacrificed. Kind of like lumberjacks, right? A lot of what they do is taking care of trees that are just cut down for that purpose, to serve someone else's needs. And that's exactly what's happening here and who the angels are, have appeared to. They have appeared to people who are really at the, uh, on the, at the low folks in the totem pole, the ones who um, aren't the highest held uh, positions in society. And what happens here in verse 10 and 11, as we get down here, we're going to see that the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is God's first revelation of, to outsiders that the Messiah has arrived, that this is Emmanuel, this is God with us. And I think that it's really interesting here that the text uses, these angels use three different ways to describe Jesus. He's described here as Savior, Christ, and Lord. And since we're talking about job descriptions this morning, I figure that could be one of the ways that we look at how these three titles work with Jesus. So if we can kind of jump around in the order and look at Christ first. See, Christ is a title of the position. Who, who in here knew that Christ wasn't Jesus' last name? Anybody? Okay, good. You guys in the back didn't know? Didn't see any hands. Surprise. Spoiler alert. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, his last name's of Nazareth. <laughs> Got you. Um, what? This is not... Christ was not his last name. In fact, this is Greek for the Hebrew Messiah, which is a title rather than his name. It's proclaiming the position of the child who is born. And if we jump over to Acts 17, verses 1 and 3, Paul and Silas are in Thessalonica, and it says here, Now when they had passed through um, Amph Amphopolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. So the Christ, if you will, Christ is a job title. So if you've been on monster.com, you've been on careerbuilder.com, you've seen those as you've had job titles posted there where it's in bold. It's usually at the top of the page. It says like lumberjack. Well, this says Christ. This is a title that Jesus carries. And Paul was saying this to them back um, in Acts when he was trying to, to emphasize the fact that this Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. It was a title that he carried, which is different from the other way that one of the other ways that we get the description here in Luke of Jesus, and that's of Savior. 
And Savior really is the responsibilities area on a job description. So if you think about those responsibilities that a person has inside of this role, Savior is what we're seeing there. And this is what he has the authority to do. And in Acts 5, 30, verse 30, Peter and the apostles are speaking to the group of leaders from a Jewish sect called the Sadducees. And they're saying, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, which means to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. So that word savior there is described as the one who gives repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And even Jesus would talk about this more in Matthew 9, verses 1 through 7. And it says, And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. So you can see here that the reason that they said that Jesus was blaspheming is because he is saying that he has the power to forgive sins. And that's what we saw back here in Acts, as I just mentioned, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Jesus is making a bold claim about what he has the authority to do. He has the authority to be our Savior. And he's qualifying that here in Acts and in Matthew 9. So we see that these two titles, one of Christ, one of Savior, we have a third, that his is his identity as Lord. And Lord here, uh, that word Lord could, could be used a couple of different ways. But you know, you can look at it as a verb to lord over someone, to basically have to have rule over someone. But this is this the way that he's using it here is as the Lord. Right? So we can see that here in verse eleven. It says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So this is certainly not untrue to say that Christ would He is going to lord over, right? But he is the Lord. We see this identity, this kind of, um, this identity of of Jesus as God. And that's a big statement here. So inside of this one little sentence that the angels have said, we have a Savior, we have Christ, and we have a Lord. We have a title for Jesus. We have a purpose or a job description, his, 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 abilities as savior and that we have this identification with him and god so there's a lot going on right here as the angels are talking to the shepherds and they go on to say here in verses 12 and 14 and this will be a sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising god and saying Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So the angels are telling them, look, this is how you're going to know who we're talking about. The baby you're looking for is going to be 
wrapped in cloths and lying in an animal feeding trough. How, how wild is that? That the angels have said that to, or the angel rather, said that to these shepherds. That now, the Savior that they're expecting, the one that was just described here in the verses prior to this, this Messiah, was expected not to be found in a manger, an animal feeding trough, but, but was expected to be this, this king, this royalty. So we can already get this really amazing view of how Jesus will, will view humanity, where he'll start with humanity, and where his ministry will end up staying. And then at that point, a heavenly host. So imagine thousands of angels. Kids, can you imagine thousands of angels? Can you imagine thousands of anything like jelly beans or anything like that? Oh, no. Imagine thousands of angels, a multitude of angels that are all singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. In that moment, the angels are acknowledging that peace is for a chosen people, that peace is for a family of God. And this time of year, we see that word peace plastered on a lot of different things. You just walk into Hobby Lobby or not, walk into Hobby Lobby, walk into Michael's, walk into any of those stores, and you're going to find peace plastered all over everything, from, gr- from greeting cards to um, home decorations, all of that. And it's true. We, we have a Prince of Peace. That's one of the ways that we know of Jesus. That's, that's one of those, those titles that he has. But peace didn't come to everyone. Peace is not... Um, is not everywhere now. I mean, we can look at the world around us and see that we still live in a world that um, is not peaceful, that there are atrocities being performed even in this moment in our world, that, that peace has come, but peace has come to a chosen people. The text is talking about a select people, and this may kind of wreck us. I know that it feels right that we should believe that we should have some sort of a... Um, a role in our um, salvation, that, that it should feel like you know, peace should be for everyone, but, but God is, is saying here that um, he has chosen a people, that he has a, he's always chosen a people. He's, ever since he chose the people of Israel to become a family with, he's had a chosen people. And that Christ's blood, that's his sacrifice. It was, it was sufficient to to, um, to cover the sins of all people and all, all the world. And he is, he is sufficient for that. But, but his sacrifice is only efficient. It's only, it only benefits those who God has called his own and those who he bestows the gift of faith. And living in a world that's, that, that isn't at peace um, is hard. Amen? I mean, it's hard. It's hard when we have to endure so many things on a day-to-day basis that um, we wish we were, we were rescued from. It's hard for us to see tragedy. It's hard for us to see people suffer and so many things that, are, that just don't seem just. But we have a just God. On this side of eternity where we can't understand completely God's will, it's, huff, it's tough for us sometimes to, to struggle with that, to understand how we can view God as sovereign and as in complete control. And that's okay. You know, I, I had to deal with that uh, earlier 
this week. We had some not-so-fun things happen at work this week uh, with some folks who lost their jobs. And, and being able to pray with them, I actually had folks stop me and, and, and ask me to pray with them this, uh, this week as, as they were walking out, leaving work for the last time. And you, you get stuck with this place of like, well, how can this happen? And the truth of the matter is that we live in a broken world. We live in a world that is in constant battle and struggle with, with sin, with pain, with anguish. But as believers, as those who are part of the family of God, the ones that he has called his family, we have hope. We have hope that goes beyond the pain and the struggle of this world, that we put our hope into a Savior, the Christ, the Lord, the reason for this season and every season, because he has conquered all of those things. He came to overcome death. He came to overcome sin. He came to overcome all of those things to give us hope. And so if there's a word that we, we should have plastered all over greeting cards and all over our houses and walls, it's that hope, that we have, we have hope in Jesus that as believers, as those who, who call upon Jesus as Lord, we have hope. And that's really what allows us to have an eternal or a kingdom view on this world, because we have hope. And we get the, the pleasure in this life of being able to share that hope with other people, being able to share that hope with the world. And can you imagine just how excited these shepherds were when they got that message? They were pretty excited. I want to I jump there. It says, and when the angels went away from them into the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, did you see that, man? That was awesome. This was amazing. This was outstanding. Yes, imagine if you just saw that. It would be amazing. It would be amazing. You would want to go tell this to everyone, right? Now, Scripture didn't, didn't capture that moment where they flipped out and said, this is amazing. But it did capture the moment just thereafter where they went running to find what the angels had just, what the angel had just told them about and what these angels were just singing about. The shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, no kidding, they were probably running, um, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Now, Bethlehem isn't a big place, right? But it's not like a one-shack town either. So as they're going and they're finding this, now they're, it does, Scripture doesn't give us any, any direction on how they found Jesus, but you can imagine at night here that where they're going to find this baby that's been born into a manger, they're knocking door to door. They're asking the townspeople, hey, has there been anyone that's delivered a baby tonight? And, like, they have to find Jesus, right? They have to find this baby that's wrapped in swaddling cloths and laying in a manger. So they are already causing a stir in the town by the time that they get to find Mary and Joseph. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered what the shepherds told them. 
And I find this to be really awesome. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And as we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, you know, Mary has had a long time to process what has happened. She's had nine months to process all of this. But as she's hearing this, it's more and more confirmation. And she's able to, to, to ponder all these things, to store them up in her heart. Just how, how incredible of a moment in time this has become. That this is the moment that the Messiah came to earth. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Isn't it exciting that God invites us to be a part of the delivery of the good news? That we don't, our job, our position in this whole telling others, sharing the gospel, evangelizing, isn't to be the angels. Okay, that's not our position. So can we just agree on that? We get to be the shepherds. Okay, and I think sometimes we think that we have to like, we have to be the glory of God to people. We have to like, Make sure they're getting this. Make sure that as we are out there um, telling people about Jesus or just showing the love of Christ to other people, that we have, we have this position of being in authority over that message. But God's in authority over that message. That we don't have, our job in telling people about Jesus is not to save people. That job position's already taken. That's liberating, Right? That we don't have to feel like we have the, the burden of responsibility of saving someone. Our responsibility is just to be, we're invited to be a part of it. We get to be like the shepherds and going and just telling people, expl- exclaiming, explaining this good news to people. And I think it's really exciting that that's what we're, we're seeing here. We're getting this example of how God has invited us to be a part of, of the delivery system. We get to be, if the job description was allowed, we get to be mailmen. We get to be messengers. Carrying good news. And in verse 21, Luke records that we have Jesus' circumcision and naming. And the name Jesus is Yeshua or Joshua in Hebrew, meaning the Lord saves. The Lord saves. Like I said, we, we don't have to have that job description of Savior. Nor could we. That there was only one who could ever have that job description. And we don't have the burden of responsibility of saving ourselves. We can't save ourselves. Who's ever like been hanging off of a bridge or in, the, in an ocean, needs, needs a buoy, and has ever saved themselves? Like... If th- then it's just, if that happens, you've just um, preserved your life, like, right? Really, to save someone, to save anything, requires that that, per- that thing couldn't do it on their own. Otherwise, it's just life preservation, right? So you've just, and you can do that here. You, you, can, you can put yourself into situations that are going to preserve your life longer. You can play it safe, right? So you can uh, put your seatbelt on. You can look both ways when you're crossing the street. You can, kids, what else can you do to help stay safe? You can not play with fire. You can, you can what? 
yeah, when you're riding your bikes, look both ways. That's important. All those things kind of help us. Yeah, you can wear a helmet. You can be safe by wearing a helmet. Those, all those things help you to preserve your life here. But that's as far as we can go. And really, when we look at the sovereignty of God, even that's in his control. Right? Thank goodness he gave us what's inside of here to help us to, you know, he gives us the tools to help preserve our life here and to watch after ourselves. Um, Ultimately, he's watching over and controlling everything. But that eternal salvation, the one that Jesus came to provide for us, we cannot do. We cannot save ourselves. No matter how many good things we do, no matter how many books we read, seminars we go to, conferences we go to, church services we go to, songs that we memorize, verses that we memorize, none of that is going to save you. And that may wreck with some folks this morning. Now, all of those things, don't get me wrong, are good and I believe, are part of a healthy spiritual life. Those things are going to be helpful for you to maintain spiritual health, right? But those do not save you. You don't get to have the job title of Savior. We have one who does, and only he could do it. Who's thankful that they don't have to have that job title? That we have a Savior. We have one who has the title of Christ and Messiah. We have one who came to have the job description of being our Savior. And we have one who didn't just take the job, fulfill his duties, and he was done. But we have one who was created before time began. And we have one who conquered death, conquered the grave, and is now living in heaven and has prepared a place for us to go. That's, that is who we're talking about. That is the person for this season. But as we think about Jesus, like I said last week, he's got to move from, from being someone that we think of in, in fiction, someone that we think of in history books, someone that we think of maybe just in in terms of the nativity scenes that we create. And let me just kind of stop, pause there and say, these nativity scenes have gotten out of hand. <laughs> they have gotten out of hand. I mean, it started off fair enough, you know. I mean, bring it. Here we go. It start- <laughs> this is. Th- let me tell you about this. I told some folks after uh, I preached last week, I'm like, at some point in my sermons, I, I turn into uh, Memphis, and I start to get just real uh, with folks, and my, my southern starts to come out a little bit, so if you hear words like ain't, um, it's because I, I've just slipped into another mindset. Um, but these nativity scenes have gotten out of control. I mean, okay, so first we got, like, if it started with Joseph, Mary, baby Jesus, manger, cool. All right, we can deal with that. And then we started adding in the shepherds into the nativity scene. You're like, all right, all right, it's fine. You know, it's tell, helping to tell the story. And then you're like, well, let's put, the, let's put the, the three wise men in there. You're like, well, wait a minute. They weren't there that night. It's true. They weren't there that night. We like to think of them as a part of this nativity, though. And you're like, 
no, 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 can't be. And then driving around neighborhoods looking at Christmas lights, you got Santa praying over Jesus in the nativity. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> this thing has gone wrong. It's gone very wrong. Now we have this kind of mixing of the fictional with Jesus, and like that's a dangerous place to be. I mean, that's a dangerous place to be when we start to mix these things that this was real. This really happened. Rudolph was not a part of the story. Frosty the Snowman, not there. And Santa wasn't in the nativity. And while, you know, I'm not, t- I'm not, don't go home and throw away your wise men, okay? I'm not trying to say that. We got wise men in our little um, cherub nativity, those little, what are those things called? Precious moments nativity? We have precious moments nativity, and it is precious. Um, <laughs> just amazing we have one uh, of those two and there's all kinds of stuff that's in the nativity and um, we need to have a view of Jesus that goes beyond the nativity scenes that we create in our front lawns in our living rooms that this was a person a real person who came in time fulfilled a job and completed it in a way that you can't, that I can't, and that we needed, and that his, his telling, his, his coming was foretold long before the scriptures that we read today, long before that. And if you need to go back a couple of weeks as we are as we are moving through the book of Luke, you know, we've been unpacking where in Scripture all of this has been foretold, but this entire book whispers his name. Even in the, the people like King David, who was thought of to be the greatest king of all of Israel. But this is the better David. Who, coincidentally, which is no coincidence, was also from Bethlehem, right? So we're seeing all throughout Scripture that this entire book is pointing to the person of Jesus. Now, we can't put Jesus' name in the Old Testament. We can't, that's not what, I'm, it's not what I'm insinuating, but it whispers his name. You're like, this sounds familiar. Like, I know this story. This is pointing to the Christ. It's pointing to one who would come and fulfill all of this. And I'm thankful that he did and in a way that he could only do that and He came to take a job that we didn't have to apply for. We don't have to fulfill. That really what he asks us to do is to be mailmen, mail persons, deliverers, messengers. He invites us to be a part of that work. And at Redemption Hill, the way that um, we have been inspired to do ministry is through sharing life with people through forming these missional communities, through having meals in each other's homes. And let me just tell you, like, this is a great time of the year to have meals. If you're not going to a meal or coming from a meal this time, and we talked about that with Luke, that it seems like Jesus is coming from a meal, going to a meal, or, um, or leaving from a meal. Those, like, this is an awesome time of the year for us to be missional with one another because there's some good Christmas recipes. I had a jalapeno and pork tamale this morning, son, it was good. Like, 
Híjole, sí, híjole. He was really, really good. And I'm from Memphis, so we didn't, we didn't, right? We didn't have tamales in Memphis. Um, it's not something that was very traditional for me. So this kind of spicy food and eating that is very, very new to me for breakfast, even having breakfast tamales. Um, but even things like that, going and getting some tamales and eating with someone. Those, off, those offer amazing opportunities for us to develop relationships with people and have a, an open door for us to be able to, to share the love of, of Christ with others. It's just that simple. Like, I, we don't have to overthink being a messenger, being a, um, a mailman for this message. Do you think the shepherds really, like, came up with a plan for how they were going to deliver this message? How they got together? Okay, so let's strategize on this. Um, we get to Bethlehem. Okay, you're going to be the talker. I'm going to be the, um, the nodder and the affirmer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. You're going to do that. We're going to hit this place and be strategic about how we deliver this message. They were running. They were trying to find this baby that was born. They were going through the town. They were so excited. They had, they had enthusiasm that you can read from the scriptures about this message that they were telling to other people. They were just excited about it. They were overjoyed. And we sang about that this morning. We're going to continue to sing about this joy that we get in knowing Christ. That that's really our response. And when we get, when we move from a place where Jesus is in our minds viewed as six pound, eight ounce baby Jesus in the manger and the velvet painting in your mom's living room or Jim Caviezel from The Passion of the Christ, when we get beyond that and move to a place where we have a relationship with him, I dare you to hold back the joy in your heart. It's, it's going to be impossible. You're going to, you're going to want to rejoice. You're going to want to tell people about Jesus, to love them in the way that he did, to meet people's needs providing them with tamales or whatever else comes to mind. And so I love that that's what we've, we've tried to do here. We, we, we've said, look, being a messenger, loving on people, look, it can look like just having lunch with people, eating meals with people. So we've made that just a very practical way that the ministry is expressed. But we also want to get into discipleship. We also want to get into where we get to do this thing called life with each other. And as we do that, we're going to know and know, we're going to know more about Jesus. We're going to understand him more because we're going to see how he's shaping and changing our brothers and sisters through relationship. That that's how we're going to get to know this Jesus of the Bible, this Jesus who still lives today. And we get to be thankful that Jesus who came at a very specific time in a very specific place for a specific people, has completed his, his work. That he said on the cross, it is finished. And that we don't have to do anything more but the, than to rest in the finished work of the cross. And that is when we find peace. So when we see peace, when we see it plastered around on things and inside of craft stores, we can be reminded that the peace that we know, the peace that we have, 
is in a Savior who has a job title that we can't take, that we couldn't possibly accomplish, but that he invites us to be a part of sharing that news with other people. He invites us to be a part of having that joy overflowing from our hearts and sharing it with others. And that's the message that we saw this morning with the shepherds. So I'll invite the worship team to come back up, and we're going to move into a time of, of communion like we do every single week here. And communion really is a way for us to be reminded of Jesus practically, again, through having bread and wine or juice. That we get to be reminded of this amazing Savior who came and said, this is the way that I want you to remember me, through my sacrifice. And so as we take that, as we take the elements this morning, I think it offers an amazing time for us to reflect on his sacrifice, to reflect on our relationship with him too, to understand who he is to us, and for us to rejoice, for us to be filled with joy that we have a Savior who came and conquered death, who took a job title that we couldn't have, we couldn't possibly fulfill and rejoice that he lives today and invites us to be a part of his ministry, a part of his church, his called out ones, his family to go and tell it to the ends of the world. Father, we thank you. We thank you for inviting us to be a part of your family. We thank you for your son, Lord, we can't, we can't fathom what that means, what, what sacrifice was given for us. But we know as we put our faith, as we put our trust in Jesus, as we surrender to him, Lord, we get to have peace and we get to have hope in knowing that That job was finished. It was completed. That that sacrifice, when it was made, Lord, when, when Jesus died for us, that we were restored into relationship with you. And really, that part of being saved, Lord, is just surrendering. It's realizing that we can't do anything to save ourselves. But we have a Savior who came and did it all. Father, we thank you for making us a part of your family. And this family is, is um, so important this time of the year. That when we get together, um, Lord, it's, it's so sweet to be together with family. But Lord, we have hope in a family reunion one day that will be bigger and louder than any family reunion we can ever have on earth. We thank you for making us a part of your family through your son, Jesus. And that's in his name that we pray. Amen.